and I appreciate that. Your Bibles are open to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, between uh, this morning and tonight, there's going to be a lot of scripture. I hope you're all right with that. Um, and so I hope you'll, you'll uh, uh, try to follow as best you can. It's Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday. The word vision is found in either the singular or the plural in our King James Bible almost 100 times. I believe it's 98 times total. The, most of the time, when you see the word vision, it is, it is talking about a revelation from the Lord. Um, sort of as uh, Joseph had those dreams or visions when he was a 17-year-old, Pharaoh had some. Uh, 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 Daniel often had visions. Nebuchadnezzar had a couple of them. Uh, Ezekiel had a number of them. And so when you see the word vision, that's oftentimes what it's referring to. By definition, the word vision means a revelation or a dream. Uh, Peter had a vision one day when it was about lunchtime, uh, when he was on the roof of a house in Joppa, and there the Lord uh, had a, a vision that appeared to him, and God was revealing a truth and a plan for Peter's life. But the word vision uh, is also used in the Bible, uh, and it does not mean a revelation from God as much as it means a perceptiveness or an understanding of what God wants for us. Um, in, uh, you don't have to turn here, but in First Chronicles chapter 12, the nation of Israel had gone through a civil war when Absalom tried to overthrow the kingdom from his father David. David, seeking to spare the lives of as many people as possible, he actually fled from the capital city of Jerusalem, went eastward, crossed the Jordan River, hoping that things would die down and it would come to a safer conclusion. There still ended up being some civil war. Absalom, his son, died uh, as a result of his rebellion. And uh, so the kingdom was left in disarray. And finally, some people said, why aren't we talking about bringing the king back? What's taking so long to get David back in the city? Those who had followed Absalom, uh, their, their loyalties were divided and they were unsure if David comes back, is he going to seek revenge against them? Um, but words started going out amongst the nation, the tribes of Israel, saying, shouldn't we bring the king back? And the Bible says in uh, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, the children of Issachar, one of the 12 tribes, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. This description of the men of Issachar was given twice in the Bible. There were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's what a biblical vision is all about. We are not seeking an extra revelation from God. We've got the full revelation right here in the, in the written word of God. Amen. But we still need to have God's direction in our lives. And we ought to know what does God want us to do? In our text this morning in 1 Samuel 3, we read of a time in Israel's history near the end of the time of Judges. And the Bible tells us about the spiritual state of God's people. Look at verse 1 again. The child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Eli was the high priest. The, ta the tabernacle was in a place called Shiloh. And Samuel had been there since he was just barely beyond a toddler's age. And here's what the Bible says. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. 
Now, I think the Bible is a precious book. I have hundreds of books in my library, but none of them have the value of the Word of God. And I love my Bible. But the word precious means it was rare. In other words, God wasn't talking to his people because his people weren't listening to anything that he said in the first place. That's a, that's a dangerous place to be. When the Holy Spirit stops convicting us of our sin and, and or, or convicting us of that which we're supposed to do, we better, we better get worried because that means um, if we're not going to listen to conviction, chastening is coming our way. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. God wasn't speaking. There was no open vision. In every reference that I looked at studying that phrase, there was no open vision, it, it unanimously is referring to the fact that at that time in, in Israel's history, there was no one like the men of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and what Israel ought to do to say, here's what we need to do as a nation. Here is what we need to do as a people. They had no one to, to do that. There was no open vision. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. A verse that you'll recognize the moment you lay eyes upon it. Proverbs chapter 29. And if you would, verse number 18. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Let's, let's read this verse together. Are you ready? Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law Happy is he. Read the first half with me again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. What, what happens to the people when there's no vision? The people perish. That, that's a Bible truth. That's an inescapable principle of Almighty God that does not change. Where there's no vision, the people perish. When I was nine years of age, I was in the fourth grade. Uh, I went to Templeton Elementary School in Templeton, Pennsylvania. Mrs. Reichert was my fourth grade teacher. Uh, up until that time, I, I, I always loved school. I, I liked going. I wasn't happy about snow days because I just liked being in school. I liked learning. I, I had an, a, a love for that. And, and I was a straight A student. Uh, learning in school came easy to me until I hit the fourth grade. Uh, around here, when you hit fourth grade, the curriculum gets a little bit tougher. And, and you're beyond just your ABCs and some of those things. Well, that's what happened to me. But uh, uh, it, it, my, my grades just started going downhill from the first marking period. They just seemed to get worse until finally I came home with a report card. And in math, uh, for that particular six-week grading period, I got an F. And Mrs. Reichert, bless her heart, she always used black ink for all the other grades, but for my F, she put it in bright red ink so that when my parents would open the report card, their eyes are drawn to the very first brightest thing on there. It was an F in math. In the comments below, uh, Mrs. Reichert had something there, uh, something like Tommy needs to pay attention better. Uh, Tommy needs to study better. Uh, something like that. If she called me Tommy, she didn't know that she was supposed to call me pastor yet. Um, but, you know, that was on there. Well, you know, my mom said, just wait till your dad gets home. How many ever heard that line growing up? And you knew what it meant. And back in the 60s, what it meant was I was getting a whooping. 
My dad saw the F and I, I lived in a day and age where if you got in trouble at school, you got a whooping and then they'd ask you what happened. Um, they didn't call the school and start yelling at the teachers. They, they took it out on us and rightly so. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to defend myself. I'm trying hard. No, I'm not goofing off. No, I'm not talking. No, I'm not sleeping in class. And it sort of fell on deaf ears for two entire weeks. I'd get up to leave in the morning. Now, you pay attention in class. I don't want to see any more of those Fs on a report card. I heard that every morning for two weeks until the county, Armstrong County, sent the nurse in to give us eye exams. And I got my eye exam and the same day, my mother got a phone call from the school nurse who said, did you know that your son cannot see? He is technically, legally, he could be considered blind. And all of a sudden, um, oh, we're so sorry. You want to go out for ice cream, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I'm, I'm milking that for all it's worth now. And it turns out we went to, uh, and, and got an eye exam uh, with an optometrist. Uh, long story short, I was severely nearsighted and had very, very bad astigmatism. And at the age of nine, I got my first pair of bifocals. But it's amazing. Now, I take them off now. My eyesight hasn't improved. Still wearing the bifocals has gotten a little bit worse. And you all look great right at the moment. But you're all a bunch of blobs and, and blurs. Uh, I, can, I could probably call out your name in most cases and get it right. Uh, but, but I can't make out your facial features. I don't know if you're sleeping or not. There's something about getting your vision corrected. And all of a sudden, everything comes into folks. It, it, it changed everything. My grades went back to straight A's. I found out that the reason I was striking out on the playground at wiffle ball and stuff was with, with, with my vision obscured, my depth perception was off and I couldn't see that little ball until the very last minute. Uh, and and uh, it, it changed every area of my life. In the Christian life, we all face the danger of becoming nearsighted. To where all we see is what's right in front of our face. And usually that is which concerns us the most. And we can tend to become very self-centered. And if we do not remedy that, we're going to find ourselves in a state of spiritual blindness. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. You're probably already anticipating these words. They're familiar to us. The Lord Jesus had John send seven letters to seven different churches. One of those was a church in a city called Laodicea. This church is mentioned in the book of Colossians. It's been around for a while. And notice what God has to say. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. We're going to pick it up verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. You're not on fire for God Neither are you dead. You're somewhere in between. He said, I would thou wert cold or hot. If you're cold, if you're cold I'll just light a fire under you. If you're hot, you're in a good place. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Boy, those are harsh words. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And, and read the last part of verse 17 with me, church. Ready? And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So here's a church and they thought everything was fine because they were nearsighted. 
By the way, my eyesight, the doctor, the way he described it to my parents, had probably been disintegrating for several years. And it just happened a little bit at a time. And as a child, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just assuming this is the way things are supposed to look. It wasn't that I was stupid or anything like that. It's just I was a young child when it started going bad uh, and it just kept getting worse and nobody noticed me squinting a lot uh, and so forth. And sometimes spiritual blindness happens the same way. We get our eyes off the things that, that are really important. And here's the church. I, I'm rich. I'm, I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. The, 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 the bank account's full. The, the building's in great shape. I have need of nothing. And the Lord said, it's because you're nearsighted. You can't even see what you are. You can't even see that you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Spiritual blindness is something that none of us want to be guilty of. Am I right? Uh, it ought to be something that almost scares us. Because you see, to be spiritually blind is far worse than to be physically blind. Fanny Crosby, the great songwriter, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, became blind when she was just a, an infant from a, a botched medical uh, treatment from a, a doctor whose credentials were very, very questionable. And she, from, the, from that time on, she was blind and she never saw anything until she got to heaven. Someone asked her one day if she ever resented not having her sight. And she answered in a most remarkable way. She said, not at all. She said, because God has gifted me with talent. She, was, she had a beautiful voice. She was a great songwriter. Um, she was musical on a keyboard, on a piano and so forth. Um, she said, because of the gifts that God gave me, the natural talent, if I was not blind, I might have gone out and used those talents for myself to make money, to receive the praise of men. But being physically blind, I learned that I have to depend on God for everything because I have no idea what dangers or difficulties may be surrounding me. I can't see them. But, but she said, because I'm physically blind, I'm spiritually open to the things of God and I'd rather be that way. She said, someday I'll be both. One day when I get to heaven, I'll have my sight and the first face I'll see is the face of Jesus. But she said, I'll, I'll not only have physical sight, I'll have perfect spiritual sight. What I'm saying this morning, church, is we've got to make sure that our vision does not become nearsighted. Or we become like the church at Laodicea. And what did God say about that church? He said, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. One of the most important things that we will ever do is to constantly get a vision check. Lord, are we seeing as we ought to see? Are we seeing as you would have us to see? And of course, we know the Bible is, is central to that. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, is a light unto my path. That's why David prayed Psalm 119, 18, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The Savior taught his disciples on the road to Emmaus on resurrection day, two of them. He's, he, he's, uh, he's listening to them and they're, they're, they're moaning and complaining and they're doubting and confused because uh, their savior died and was buried and their hopes were shattered. And now these women have come along saying uh, that he's alive, he's alive. We've seen him, we saw an angel and they were unbelieving and they're walking in the wrong direction and so forth. And so the Bible says Jesus opened to them the scriptures. 
And they still weren't getting it, but he's giving them all the scriptures, how that Christ must needs have suffered and been buried and raised again from the dead. And then as he was done with the scriptures, the Bible says he opened their eyes. Not only did they see him physically and understand this man in front of them was not a stranger, it was the savior. And I think there's a lot of times the savior's working in our lives and we don't see him. Because we don't see him, we think he's not there. But he also opened their understanding and it all fell into place. So the Bible is central to a vision, but as a church, we also need to every now and then take a step back and saying, are we going in the direction God would have us to go? I feared that when COVID hit, like many churches around the country, we fell into a, a mode of survival. Uh, at first, when, that, when all those lockdowns and stuff hit, we weren't sure what we ought to do. We tried to do the right thing on that. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. And probably if it was to be done again uh, and we got a second chance, we would all do things differently. But we sort of fell into that. And we slowly started regathering and all those kind of things. And I feel like for the last couple of years, we, we sort of been in a maintenance mode. And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes we need to, to rebuild and sometimes we need to re-strengthen ourselves. But we can't stay in a maintenance mode forever. Sooner or later, we're supposed to go forward. Sooner or later, we're supposed to stay to, to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And this morning, I would like to just share with you some, some of the vision that I believe that we as a church and we as individuals, pastor included, need to grab a hold of. We need to stop being this and just sort of feeling our way through. We need to be this saying, I know what God wants for my life. Number one, we need a vision of personal growth. Every one of us. I'm not talking about numerical growth in the church because I think that'll happen when we do everything else we're supposed to do. I mean, personal growth. Second Peter chapter three and verse 18 says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no end to that. It doesn't say grow until you know this. Grow until you pass this test. It just keeps growing. It's, it, that, that word is in a constant state. Growing grace uh, in, in, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul commended the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet as it's fitting, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Here was a church that Paul pastored for three weeks, three Sabbath days, and had to leave because of persecution, but he left behind a group of people. We'll see part of their testimony uh, a little later in this message. Here is a group of people that built a testimony that spread around the entire Mediterranean world without social media, without the internet, without the printing press or anything like that. It broke cultural barriers. It broke language barriers. A simple handful of people that had this testimony. He wrote to that, that about them in their first letter. In the second one, he said, whatever I said in the first letter, he said, you're doing Doing even better. Your faith groweth exceedingly. You didn't plateau. You didn't come to a place and say, well, well, we've come far enough. It's time for somebody else. No, you just kept going and going and going, and it grows exceedingly. We need a vision of personal growth. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus 
Then as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Do you have a vision of growing in grace? Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verse 13, familiar passage. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived. I have not arrived. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was possibly the greatest Christian of the New Testament. I, I, I challenge you, you'll find some great Christians, but I don't think you'll find any greater than him. He was a man who gave everything that he had for the cause of Christ. He was a man that started more churches than we can even count. The Bible doesn't tell us how many. It names but a few of them, and that's a large number. He had an influence that stretched again all over the Mediterranean world. God used him to pen words of divine inspiration for us. And here is this man in Philippians. He is a mature Christian. Uh, he's in prison for his faith. He's in Rome. He'll never get out of that jail. He is a, a few months, maybe a year or so from his execution. And here is that man after all that saying, I'm still trying to go forward for Christ. I still know I haven't arrived. There's more of God. There's more of God's will. There's more of his power. There's more of his grace. And Paul wasn't satisfied to just settle back and, and, and have this mediocre kind of Christian. We need a vision of personal growth. I mentioned to somebody this morning, this coming Saturday, uh, I'm going to I'm participate uh, and compete in my second powerlifting competition. My first one was back in March. Um, and with the organization that I'm a, a part of, there are, I, I read the other day in their, their information, 34,500 members to this. There are only two dozen or less what we, they call adaptive athletes. That's what I'm called. You see what's adaptive athlete means? It means I'm better than everybody else. Okay. It just means somebody that's working with a disability. So there's less than two dozen. In March, I was assured of a first place just by being the only adaptive athlete in the competition. Um, and it was a good day and I broke several personal records and, and uh, it was an exciting day. I learned a lot, but my second one comes this Saturday. Um, Tim has signed me up not only for the adaptive athlete category, but he signed me up for another category called Masters 3. I'll, I'll compete in both of them simultaneously. Masters 3 is based on my age for men 65 years and older. It's also broken down to weight class, and I'm on sort of the lightweight uh, end of things and so forth, and uh, they, they've researched it out. In the state of Connecticut, there are no records for Masters 3. So if I go out on Saturday and I lift a 45-pound bar, I just set a state record, and I'll get a medal. It's, it's that, that simple. Uh, it doesn't matter what I do on Saturday. I'm going to get a first place medal for adaptive athlete. I'm going to get a first place medal for uh, Masters 3, uh, the whole nine yards. Um, but that's not enough. That's not good enough for me. See, I, I'm, I'm not really in it for the medal because the medal is this little cheap piece of, I think it's aluminum that they spray paint gold and put a sticker on there. Um, my last one, the sticker was on crooked, that type of thing. Um, and, and so that, that thing has no value. It doesn't mean anything. It, it's all about at the end of the day, did I do my best? 
Since March, I, I've dealt with the, the chest pain issues that got worse and worse and worse over the, 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 uh, the following months to the point where uh, all of my weights that I did in March were going down. And I was going from 181 and a half pound bench press to barely being able to get 135 pounds up. Since the last two months, since they found the rib issue, my numbers are going up. And part of me just said, well, I won't do as well as I did the first time. But another part of me said, well, at least try for it. And I'm going in Saturday and uh, I'm, I'm just guarantee you, I, I think I'm going to set a new personal record uh, in at least two of the lifts that I've done. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter to me if I set state records or not. It's just at the end of the day, did I do my best? Can I tell you something? The, a powerlifting competition means nothing in light of eternity. Nothing at all. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but there's something that does mean something in eternity, and that's, am I growing in grace? We're commanded to do that. That's not optional. You can be bored with church. You can sleep through church. You can ignore your Bible. That's your choice, but you are disobeying a direct commandment of God Almighty. God said, if you're saved, you're supposed to grow in grace. You're not supposed to be the same place next year that you are right now, and neither am I. We need to have a vision of personal growth. I believe that behooves every one of us to decide, I'm going to read my Bible through at least once this year. We didn't hand this out so you had something extra to doodle on in church. This is a guide to help you get into the Bible in an organized way and get it into your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Um, we need to read our Bible through. We, we're starting our men's Bible study uh, this coming Tuesday night at 7 o'clock in, in 1 John chapter 1. And I'm encouraging men, even, even teenage guys, if they want to come join us. It, it lasts about an hour. It's not a time where I stand up and say, here's what this verse means. It's a time we sit around. Our Bibles are open. Our journals are open. We're sharing the fresh things that God gave to each of us. We're, we're helping each other grow. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharp at the countenance of his friend. What's that all about? Personal growth, personal growth. In February, we're going to have a couples conference. Couples conference. We haven't done this in a while. We're going to have Brother and Mrs. Penichetti back. How many of you have been here with the Penichettis? They're a hoot. They've been married for like 400 years. Uh, uh, Brother Penichetti uh, is, is called retired, but he's still preaching all over the place. Uh, he has started, uh, I don't know how many churches in Philadelphia. Uh, several of his sons are pastoring churches. His oldest son is pastoring the last church that Brother Penichetti did. He and his wife are going to come in, and that's not for people that, that have a bad marriage. I don't care if you got the best marriage in church. Maybe you're an engaged couple. You ought to be here for that. Why? So you can learn how to be a better husband, learn how to be a better wife. Uh, by the way, this conference is not for husbands to look at their wives and say, did you get that? Or vice versa. It's for every one of us to look at ourselves and say, am I, am I the man God wants me to be? Or am I the lady that God wants me to be? We got that in, in October. We're going to have something we've never done here before, but I believe God would have us to do. We're going to have what is entitled a prayer revival. Amen. Dr. Benny Beckham is an evangelist. He's an older man. Um, I believe he's late 70s now. And for the last several decades, his entire ministry has been focused on the subject of prayer. 
He goes into, comes into churches like ours. He's an independent, fundamental King James Bible-believing Baptist. Um, but he'll come into a church like ours on a Sunday morning and just start teaching on the subject of prayer. I, I've talked to several pastors, several people, where he came to their church and God just moved in. You see, when we pray, we're getting into the presence of God. And when we get into the presence of God, changes happen. In one church, a three-day meeting went on for almost three weeks. And it wasn't the pastor saying, we need to extend this. It was the people saying, can he stay another night? Can he come back tomorrow night? And every night the attendance grew, people got saved and churches have been changed. And, and I think that's what we need. I tried to get him for earlier in the year to start out that way, but he's booked up for several years to come. And October uh, was, was uh, as, as much as I could get him or close as I could get him, but a prayer revival. To just get our walk with God, we need a vision for personal growth. I'm talking about young people. I'm talking about young couples. I'm talking about middle-aged people. I'm talking about those of us who have known and maybe served the Lord for, for decades. We need to grow in grace. And we need a vision for that because it's very easy to lose that and say, I I've done enough. I know all that I need to know. And we become spiritually blind and God has no time for that, does he? We need to become spiritually awakened. Number two, we need a vision of prevailing influence. All up and down the eastern seaboard, there are lighthouses. The northeast is very famous for some of them. Uh, every, every so many miles, you'll find them. They come in all shapes and sizes. Um, some of them are still actively used. Some are not, and they're now more historical sites. Uh, the, the lighthouses were put out there in the day before radar and electronic navigation and satellites and all those kind of things, so that at night when it was dark, sh ships on the sea could know exactly what channel to get in to come into the harbor safely. Or if there was a storm at night, that light would be, be on to guide those vessels to come in. We as a church, I believe we're called to be a lighthouse here in Wallingford. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, among, among whom ye shine as lights in the darkness. I, I believe we need to get a vision of our influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given us some opportunities, and I'm not sure why he's done so, but over the years, he has. That has allowed this little church on the corner here to have an influence that spreads out of here. In, in March the 20th, we're going to have, have a missions conference. You may have seen our sign, Living with Eternity in View. That's our theme this year, Living with Eternity in View. How many have noticed that the word eternity on these two big signs is a little hard to read? Did anybody notice that besides me? And I didn't look at it like this. You ha almost have to take a double take to find out what it is. I left it that way. Brother Adam designed these because sometimes we have a hard time seeing eternity. Don't we? Trina's been in heaven for six years. I've believed in heaven since I was a little boy. I've preached sermons on heaven. After I got saved, I've heard Many, many wonderful sermons about heaven, streets of gold and gates of pearl and angels and all of those things. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be totally honest with you. From the very minute Trina left, I just had a hard time seeing what heaven was like. Trying to figure out what does she see? What is she hearing right now? 
And sometimes, because in our minds, eternity is so far away, we have a hard time seeing it and focusing on it. That's why I left it exactly like that, to remind us that we have to, on purpose, look for eternity. And we have to, on purpose, live for eternity. We're in a missions conference. We haven't done it since before COVID. The theme this year is giving with eternity in view. There are now 8 billion people who share this planet with us. And we need to get the gospel out to as many of them as we can. You see that number? We're almost at 600,000 people since I started keeping records in 2003 that have been led to Christ through our missionaries. But that's a drop in the bucket to 8 billion people. And uh, we've had people move away that were heavily involved in, in the missions program. We've had, we've had new people come in that uh, are still trying to figure out what that's about. And we just need to get our vision focused on that. Dr. Morrison will be with us. We've got some outstanding missionary families coming in to be a part of this. And we as a church just need to come together and let God sharpen our focus of getting our influence from just beyond this little room and this little corner of land out into all of the world. We'll have a men's conference in April, April the 20th, where men from churches in New, all over New England will come together so that we might be strengthened in our walk with God. In August, there'll be the Powerhouse Youth Conference. Again, this room will be just about filled with teenagers from all over the Northeast that come in here for a few days so they can get, get uh, some strength as they face the challenges and trials. Uh, in November, we'll have our ladies' conference. You say, what's that all about? It's just about, Lord, help us be a good influence for God. Lord, help us, help us reach beyond the spheres of these walls and, and help encourage other people in their walk with Christ. I need to hurry on this morning. Number three, we need a vision of propagating the gospel. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Am I correct? Turn in your Bibles, John chapter four. John chapter four. And verse number 35. John chapter four, verse 35. This is the Savior speaking to his disciples. Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Once a farmer's planted the crops, other than pulling weeds here and there, making sure maybe that things are watered if there's a dry spell, there's not a lot the farmer does out in the field or out in the garden. They just sort of wait. They realize that it's coming. One of these days, the Fruit will ripen, the tomatoes will be, will be ready to pick and so forth. Um, Jesus said, spiritually speaking, say not ye there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. We need to get a new vision of propagating the gospel. Church, I don't mean to be unkind, but it's not right that we'll have a full house for a fellowship and an empty room for soul winning. It's not right. I, I love fellowships. This year, we're going to institute uh, every month that has a fifth Sunday, we're going to have a fifth Sunday night fellowship. 
The opportunity where we're not serving in a nursery or doing anything like that. We're just able to sit around, uh, eat a little bit, enjoy each other's company, new folks to get acquainted with us, us to get better acquainted with each other, uh, and so forth. And I'm all for fellowship. It is an important part of the Christian life. But this church isn't here just so we have a social outlet. We're here to get, get trained in uh, in, in such a way we can take the gospel message outside of these walls. They're the ones that need it. We've already got it. We've already received it. And we need to change that. I'm going to refer you to the number 594,018 people that our missionaries have led to Christ. And those are as ex exact as we can get them. If they said we had several saved, I put nothing up there. I don't know what that means. Even if they say we had a few dozen saved, I put nothing up there because I don't know, is that three dozen? Is that four dozen? Is, if they say we had one saved or we had 12 saved or whatever, then I put that number up there. So it's probably higher than that. How many would agree with me? We expect the missionaries that we support to win people to Christ. How many agree about that? Okay, that's why the number's up there. And I don't expect them all to have the same kind of report. Um, Brother Aaron McCullough, last year in his ministry back in the, 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 uh, the bush in Africa or the jungles in Peru, they saw almost 7,000 people saved in one year's time. Paul and Julie Sock serve in Poland, a place that didn't have the gospel before communism set in, and then communism did its best to stamp out religion, and you've got a generation of people there that were trained in their schools. There is no God. There is no God. Religion's the opiate of the people. So now you've got these missionaries coming in, trying to share with them the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I don't expect him to send me a report and say, man, we had 7,000 last year. They've been there for a long time. They've built a solid church. But uh, it might be we, we had one person saved last month. Do you understand there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over how many sinners that repent? Over one. If you get to look at the notebook where I've been keeping records all of these years now, you'll find every time a missionary reported one saved, I put an exclamation point beside it because that's big news. But, you know, we expect them, wherever they're at, to win souls to Christ. Church. Shouldn't our missionaries be able to expect that we are winning souls to Christ with the same desire and faithfulness that they have? Am I right? I want to put two new categories up on the wall. They'll be ready for next week. Number one is going to be passing out tracts. We're going to start keeping record this year of how many tracts get passed out. You may not yet be to the place where you're bold enough uh, to knock on somebody's door, but you can give a tract out. You can give them at Dunkin' Donuts at the window. I mean, you're there three times a day anyhow. Uh, get the next person on shift. You, you, you can, some people put them as they pay their bills. They put a gospel tract in there and so forth. We're just going to start keeping record, and that'll start next Sunday. And uh, we're working on the logistics of how we're going uh, to keep track. And you're going to see a number up there beside the word tracks. Uh, and we just need to get active. We, we're all hoping somebody goes soul winning and somebody gets the gospel out. The second number we're going to put up there, and this is going to be the tough one for us, church, is soul saved. Whether you got to lead one of your children to Christ or a classmate, a student in school got saved. 
Uh, maybe somebody knocking on doors. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend that you had coffee with or something like that. We need to start getting soul conscious and start putting it up there and reminding that's what we're here for. Uh, our, our new chairs are coming in a couple of weeks. How many are excited about that? Nice lumbar support. Um, you have no idea what those stains on the chair you're sitting on mean. You have no idea what happened in that chair. We're going to get to start brand new and start messing up some brand new chairs. But this church isn't about chairs. It's about people getting saved. And we need to get a vision for propagating the gospel. We got a bus that's been sitting out there for three years. And we need to get that back on the road and running. I, I believe we ought to go up to Meriden and start knocking on doors and at least bring 28 people into church on that bus. By the way, I got some people that have talked to me about it. They're already doing about three different things on Sunday morning. And I'm glad that they want to do more, but isn't there somebody else that could take the time to run a bus route? I wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for a bus ministry. My wife wouldn't have gotten saved if it wasn't for a bus ministry. I believe it's an important thing, and, and the bus ministry has not outlived its time. One last thing on this matter of a vision for propagating the gospel. We're going to have Friend Day this year. It's going to happen November 24th. Evangelist Bruce Fry is going to be with us. How many remember when he was here a year or so ago? Uh, I don't know anybody with a testimony uh, that, that, that helps people understand the gospel better than Brother Bruce Fry. They'll be, he'll be singing and so forth. He'll be preaching all day. And we haven't had Friend Day in a long time. Uh, back in the day, uh, we had a Friend Day here, and we had 724 people in this building at the same time. Don't tell the fire marshal. Scattered all over the place. We were packed out here. The teens had their own service and, and the upstairs chapel was packed with teenagers. Uh, the junior churches were packed. That was 724 people right here. No, I'm sorry, 722 right here in this one place. And I know a lot of years have gone by. A lot of people have gone to heaven. A lot of people have moved. But I think we ought to just get our vision sharp and let's, let, let's see what God can do. We're going to start praying about it now. It's 11 months away, uh, but, but we need to, you say, what it's, what's it about? It's about us getting moving again. It, it, it's about us just saying, I, I, don't want, I don't want myself to stay in this place. Uh, whether you're backslidden or you're, you've just gotten a little apathetic or whatever, uh, just saying, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to grow. I want to understand more of the Bible. I want to have a deeper prayer life. I want to have a better walk with God. I want to be more consistent uh, in the things of God, a, a per time of personal growth. Whether it's we as a church saying, God, give us an influence in this region so that we can help other people be stirred for Christ, but a, a but in all of that, Lord, help us reach people for the lost. Could you imagine if every one of us, just those gathered here on a, on a snowy Sunday morning when we're not even half the crowd we normally are, could you imagine if just this many people, we, we each won one person to Christ this year? Do you realize we double the size of the people that are in here? We'd be almost full when we're missing a whole bunch of people today. There, there's no telling what God could do if we would just let him do it through us. None of this, none of this is fanciful things. The truth is everything can be traced back to the word of God. We're supposed to win souls. We're supposed to grow in grace. We're supposed to shine as lights in the darkness around us. It's time that we stopped living like this. It's time that we let the Lord heal our vision. Can we bow for prayer this morning? Thank you for being here.